My name is John Sylvester. I'm Australia's longest serving crime reporter and write a weekly column for The Age. Many of my colleagues have wondered why I've never bothered to move to other areas of the paper. The reason's pretty simple. I've got the best job in journalism, playing cops and robbers and getting paid for it. Over more than 40 years I've covered some of Australia's biggest crimes and met fascinating characters on both sides of the law. In this series, you'll hear from them, the cops and the crooks, telling their stories. Welcome to my world. Welcome to Naked City. Your full name is? Alistair Farquhar McRae. Uh, your current address? Is K Division in Pentridge. Alastair Farquhar McRae sounds more like a Scottish nobleman than an Australian multiple killer. According to police, he's probably Australia's most prolific serial killer, having been implicated in at least 20 suspicious deaths and disappearances and convicted of four murders in two states. Balding, slight, with a sharp wit and an engaging personality, the man hardly fits the image of a cold-blooded multiple murderer. Paul Hollywood knows a bit about killers, having served several stints at the Homicide Squad. He once told me, I would have to say that he would be Australia's worst-known multiple murderer, and perhaps we will never know how many people he's killed. McRae, a former brothel identity, was convicted of four murders, including those of Dominic Marafiotti and his parents. We will hear the two men, the cop and the killer, play out an elaborate chess game as McRae is interviewed over the murders of Dominic Marafiotti and Albert O'Hara, both killed just outside of Mildura. Sandy McRae made his name as a massage parlour standover man, a briber of police, an informer, and last of all, a killer who thought of murder as a legitimate tool of his business. Sandy McRae was the right-hand man to infamous brothel owner and underworld figure, Jeff Lamb. In his interview with Paul Hollywood, McRae bragged about how easy it was for the pair to set up brothels. Now, Jeff and I opened up parlours left, right and centre, and you'd get carpet layers in, you'd get beds and all that, the whole lot. You'd earn enough money in the next 30 days to pay before the bill got there. But it's not a problem. You didn't need cash up front because it was such a lucrative business. We used to set up escort services. You'd pay $200 worth of ads and you'd have $1,500 in by the end of the week. Let's pay for the next two weeks' ads. It was a, a very lucrative business where you didn't need bulk cash up front. But McRae was no crazed killer. He didn't kill for pleasure or out of anger or because of some deep-seated psychological problem. He killed to maintain his position in the underworld, or simply for cash. Police still don't know how many bodies are buried at his 10-hectare property at Merbeen, near Mildura, but he joked with friends that the small vineyard there would never need fertiliser, because there's plenty of blood and bone out there. Detectives exhumed two bodies and believe at least one is still buried there. In 1984, McRae failed in a bid to establish a massage parlour in Mildura, he then met and befriended Albert O'Hara, who was planning to buy a houseboat building business in the area. At first, McRae claims he doesn't even remember who Bert O'Hara was. Now, you've uh, described the, uh, the man who uh, has been killed. Do you know him by name at all? No, I couldn't remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, could you add any 
further to his description? No, not really, especially now, because it's, it's years later. But, you know, the name O'Hara, O'Hara, first name I can't remember. Pretty quickly, the memories come flooding back. McRae remembers how O'Hara wanted to start a houseboat business and says O'Hara wanted to borrow money. No, he had visions of starting a business, a houseboat business. Yeah. He had visions of people behind us with stacks of money, funding it or whatever. Mm-hmm. He approached us on the, um, the hope that we'd be able to put him in touch with whoever helped fund his idea of houseboat business mm-hmm. originally. He convinced the 59-year-old O'Hara he could make a quick profit from buying and selling marijuana. In December 1984, O'Hara came to McRae's property with 10000 to buy drugs. McRae shot him in the back of the head and buried him on the property. During the interview with Hollywood, McRae is asked about Albert O'Hara and he tries to deflect the blame onto his girlfriend. No, it wasn't him, but it was her who did the deed. McRae tells his version of the night that O'Hara died, saying that his girlfriend Judy arranged dinner with O'Hara before bringing him back to the property and shooting him in the back of the head for his money. She was, I know that there was a night that she was going out and it's, I can remember now, Kumiel Golf Club for dinner. And to me, that was the second time. It wasn't the first time. I'm sure they'd been out before. But in relation to the day that the alleged Judy murdered O'Hara. Mm-hmm. Um, were you aware that O'Hara was coming out? Yes, on that particular yeah, I believe so, yeah. Right, and for what purpose was that? I believe that they were going out. Right, right going so, out for Yeah, which is why I wasn't home. You know, I wasn't sitting home by myself, I went out for a few drinks. Well, and what, what did you understand the relationship between Judy and O'Hara was? Judy was, in her womanly way, going to get money out of him. How did you uh, believe that was going to happen? As hard as it is to uh, to explain, I didn't really know that she was going to come up with a way of getting money out of him without fucking him, as she put it so ladylike. Did you feel it was a sexual relationship developing between no, Judy and No, no. Oh, she might have um, tried to use that, that side of it to indicate, to get him interested in whatever she was doing, but I don't believe there was anything sexual. Although she's not real fussy. She's not real fussy. It's McRae's attempt at a feigned blokey-type comment to Hollywood. He's sort of saying that if his girlfriend isn't exactly the singing nun, then she's probably a murderer as well. Hollywood responds with his trademark silence. Sandy then says what he found when he arrived that night. You arrived home and you think it was um, dark? Yeah, it was late. Uh, When you uh, went inside, uh, what events occurred then? Well, when I pulled up, naturally, the, the um, Valiant was there. This is O'Hara's Valiant? Yeah, yep. parked outside. Um, so I went in the house. No, it was pretty obvious something had happened because there was blood and shit there. Mm. Where uh, was that? Where was that? Just inside the actual doorway into the kitchen, to the left-hand side because the door opened back on the door, partly on the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, Judy was sitting at the dining room table which is just through a doorway which I draw for you if you like uh, which I found out later 10 grand on the table mm-hmm. yeah. and uh, where was Judy at that time? sitting at the table so according to McRae 
He's come home after a few drinks, found his girlfriend sitting at the dining table with $10,000 in cash and blood all over the kitchen. Just another day in paradise. He says Judy is happy about what she's done. Can you recall what the conversation was? No. Specifically, no. In general terms? In general terms that she got 10 grand, didn't have to fuck him. Mm-hmm. Wasn't a problem. Mm-hmm. And um, what else occurred then? The body was shown to me outside. Mm-hmm. Um, she, I also remember since talking to you last time that she commented, joked, um, you wouldn't believe how I got the body here because it was in the shed away from the back of the house and it was in a wheelbarrow. So McRae says Judy, who's quite a small person by the way, was bragging about using a wheelbarrow to move Bert O'Hara's body from the kitchen, where he said she'd shot him, to the shed outside. Moving a dead person is actually hard work. If this story was true, Judy should have been in the Olympics as a weightlifter. The deadlift, of course. She thought that was pretty clever when she actually said she'd put the wheelbarrow up to the door. So put the body into the wheelbarrow. And it was really, she seemed to get off from this really. And uh, in general terms, what did uh, Judy say about the circumstances, how things occurred? Got off on the fact that didn't you know, had this thing about you know, didn't have to fucking for ten dollars. You know, this is how you make money. You know, mm. Ten thousand fucking dollars. You know. In a crazy story, Judy is a fast living woman in love with a gangster lifestyle. He says she loves bragging about her crime. Sandy could always tell a good story. She went through a period of time where she wanted to boast to people. She had the day. She was always... An expression of hers was along the lines of blow their fucking heads off, you know. Mm. Kill them was a... It was a period that she went through to impress people how staunch she was. Mm. She tried to get across the impression that she was a very heavy little lady, you know, that... Mm. Yeah, she'd make a real good gangster's mile back in the in the twenties. That's sort of the thing she pictured herself as, and had to be really pulled up on it. This is Mildura, not Chicago. Sandy has a point here. Chicago is where they called Al Capone. Mildura is where they catch Murray Cod. Chicago had Mayor Daly. Mildura has got the Sun Razier Daly. Chicago is the home of President Obama. Mildura is the home of the very ripe Sultana. This is what McRae says happened when Judy showed him O'Hara's body. The man he said she shot for $10,000. Well, after you'd been shown uh, the body, uh, uh, what occurred then? Went back inside. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I can't remember. It was 10 years ago. No. But, you know, we had discussions on she was just wrapped up. Here's $10,000. Know? I didn't have to fuck for it. What are you complaining about? You know, it's, she was really on a high. This is... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you um, recall what the amounts of money were in or how it was packed or anything like that? No, I really can't. No, it was cash money. Um, was it in anything at all? Large notes. Yeah. No, it was just a bundle of money. No. Discussions that it's not that easy to kill somebody for their money. Mm. Yeah. She talked shit of uh, extra bodies in coffins, blah, by these people. I know it's, the reality was we're here. This mm. is now. There's a body there. Mm. There's a car sitting there. That's reality. 
by the end of, I don't know, a period of time, uh, I suggested the car has got to go. Said to Judy, you've got to bury the body. That's it. Mm-hmm. You know, what can you do? You know, been living together for a few months. Um, actually had the hots for the woman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it just seemed logical at that particular time to, what do you do? You cover it up. And um, what was your motivation, basically, in assisting Judy in covering up the, uh, the murder of Ahara? We'd only been living together a short while. I was probably still sexually attracted to the lady. Don't laugh. My God. Well, what happened? You know, so went out, worked out, dig a hole, and I sat there. Judy was walking backwards and forwards, making bloody drinks. And I dug the fucking hole. Out of love for his girlfriend, Judy, he says, McRae spent all night digging a hole to bury the body of the man she shot. He says romance is dead. He then used oxy-welding gear to cut up the dead man's car so it could be dropped piece by piece at the Merbeen tip. And uh, whereabouts was the car actually cut up? On the fa- the property on the farm, outside the shed here. Mm-hmm. And uh, how long would that process have taken you? It took all night. Right. It took from dark, because I remember it was still daylight in the morning when Judy was driving to the tip. Right. So you, you already had the oxy equipment? Yes, I had my oxy equipment. Yeah. It took you all night to cut that up. McRae didn't waver from his story that Judy killed O'Hara. The bottom line is I didn't kill him. I didn't plan to kill him. I didn't set up to kill him. And I didn't pull the trigger. You know that with the evidence and stuff that you've got available to you. Now, if you want to charge me for whatever reason, that's your own personal reason. If you're charging me for that, you're not charging me because I pulled the trigger. Because you people know as well as I do that Judy killed him. McRae says Judy's motivation wasn't just money. There was another reason she killed the man. I believe that she really was convinced that to do something like this in her own mind would impress me, you know. Mm-hmm. And at that particular time, she was she was right out to impress. Hollywood didn't believe him, and neither did the jury. He was convicted in the Supreme Court of the murder of Albert Edwin Gerald O'Hara, shot during a drug sting in Mildura. Predictably, Judy's own version of events was entirely different from McRae's. She turned star witness against him, claiming he was violent and that she'd witnessed McRae perpetrate multiple murders. But before his house of cards collapsed, he considered the Bird O'Hara murder so successful, he formed a plan to consistently lure people up to buy marijuana and kill them on the property. It was his version of Murder, Inc. Another to be caught in McRae's web was a greengrocer by the name of Dominic Marafiotti. If you like this podcast, help other people find us by writing a review. We do read them, like the one from Schlomer. Sylvester is hands down the best crime writer in Australia and one of the best in the world. Why not? Hmm. His attention to details and matter-of-fact reporting is unsurpassed. The stories here are better than any Aussie crime movies you've ever seen. Wow, that's pretty good. Or from Snurfnell. What a name. Love your voice. Actually, that makes two of us. Love the stories. Keep it up. And here's one from Tommy123FFG. 
overrated and very self-indulgent. Hey, how'd that get in there? If you have an idea for an episode, we'd love to hear it. Except the one about the protective witness, because that'll get us all thrown into jail. Tell your friends and family. They'll love you for it. If you don't like it, lie. Tell your enemies, because they'll hate it. In the early 1980s, police became concerned at the number of unexplained deaths of drug-addicted prostitutes who died from overdoses. A homicide group led by then-Detective Sergeant Gary Landy investigated about 15 of these cases. He said one of the common denominators was that all the victims knew McRae. Police believe McRae killed a rival underworld standover man, Michael Ebert, who he gunned down outside a Carlton brothel in April 1980. McRae told friends he'd killed a woman and buried her on the property, only to later exhume the remains, pulverise the bones in a concrete mixer, and then pour the mix into a concrete garden roller, which has never been found. Police also suspected he killed his drug-addicted girlfriend, Deborah Joy Farr, 22, who was found dead of a drug overdose in a St Kilda motel in August 1981. He's also suspected of killing a prostitute known only as Little Lisa, in 1984. In July 1990, police found the remains of a woman buried in the backyard of a Kensington home that had once been owned by the mother of an underworld figure. Police believe the woman may have been an unidentified South Australian prostitute killed by McRae. Hollywood has no doubt McRae still knows more about killings than he admits. He is clever, articulate, and you would never know he was a killer just by talking to him, he said. He was a con-man killer who talked his victims into a position where he could move on them. He was prepared to try and manipulate the system while he went on killing. He had no conscience at all. 42-year-old Dominic Marifiotti has been missing from his Mildura home since Thursday night. These pictures are taken from a recent commercial he made for a local TV station. On Thursday, the vegetable merchant was believed to be heading for Adelaide, but his abandoned truck was found by Victorian police about 20 kilometres outside the Riverland town. Adelaide detectives flew to Mildura last night to examine the truck. They say there appears to be no sign of a struggle. In Mildura, locals say Dominic appeared to have been in some financial trouble. It's known he was planning to sell the shop owned by his father and move back to Adelaide. But police say they've been unable to find any clue to Dominic's whereabouts from his business associates, and they hold very grave fears for his safety. Police found the body of Dominic Marifiotti buried under the chicken coop in 1987. McRae knew a thing or two about burying people by then. He needed to dig a pretty big hole. Yeah, that's a long time ago. It was a bloody yeah. big hole. Yeah. Um, and when they re-dug up the body, they would have been able to see how big the hole was anyway by the, the colour of the soil. So it's, yeah, mm-hmm. it was a big hole. McRae shot and killed Marifiotti in July 1985. He lured Marifiotti to the property to buy marijuana and he'd already dug the grave. McRae then drove to Adelaide where he killed Marifiotti's parents, Camello, 69, and Rosa, 70. Equally baffling is why his elderly parents, 62-year-old Carmelo and 70-year-old Rosa, were murdered in their quiet suburban home in Adelaide. He was desperate to find the money that Marifiotti was to use for the marijuana deal. He didn't find it because it was sewn into Rosa's clothing. While McRae was under investigation for murder, he was also informing to the police anti-corruption investigation, Operation Cobra. He gave evidence that he helped in paying off police to protect Lamb's massage parlour empire in the late 1970s and early 1980s. 
While in witness protection, McRae made a huge blunder, confessing to another witness that he had killed the Marafiotes. He said that he used a doona to try and muffle the noise. He complained that when he tried to fire one shot, the hammer of the weapon caught the webbing between his thumb and forefinger. When Victoria Police checked with their Adelaide counterparts, they confirmed there was a small, unexplained, spider-like bloodstain at the scene of the Marafiotti murder. It was McRae's blood. He was later extradited to Adelaide to stand trial in the Marafiotti double murder. Faced with overwhelming evidence, he pleaded guilty. When he was about to be sentenced, McRae addressed the judge, asking him to be allowed to die in jail. Theatrically, he said... To allow me leniency is a luxury I did not extend to my victims. The only way to show my remorse is to ask the court to show the same leniency that I showed my victims. Absolutely none. I would ask the court to give me no possible chance of release before my death in custody. Justice Williams of the South Australian Supreme Court gave him two life sentences and extended his non-parole period to 36 years. The earliest he could be released is in 2023, age 74. Good luck with that. This episode was produced by Machine Gun Margaret Gordon, mixed by Cool Hand Cormac Lully. Tom McHendrick is head of audio. Thanks for listening.